0: Welcome to Contain This. I'm Camilla Burkot. I'm an advisor at the Indo-Pacific Center for Health Security. On today's episode, I'm speaking to Professor Fiona Russell and Dr. Rachel Debbie about the introduction of COVID-19 vaccines, how they were developed, what it means for vaccines to be safe, and how they will be rolled out in the South Pacific, and in particular, in Fiji. Professor Fiona Russell is a pediatrician with qualifications in public health and epidemiology. In particular, she's a vaccination specialist and completed her PhD evaluating alternative pneumococcal vaccination schedules in infants in Fiji. Now based at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute in Melbourne, she has undertaken consultancies for WHO, UNICEF, and the Australian Aid Programme in the Asia-Pacific and Africa on the burden of vaccine-preventable diseases, provided technical advice on new vaccine introduction, and has written national health policies aimed at reducing child mortality and improving maternal health. She's also a member of the expert advisory group for DFAT's Vaccine Access Task Force. Dr. Rachel Debbie is a medical doctor who has previously worked as a national advisor to the Family Health section of Fiji's Ministry of Health and the Watershed Interventions for Systems Health project funded by the Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security. She rejoined her country's Ministry of Health as part of the COVID-19 response and was this year appointed as the head of Fiji's Vaccine Task Force. At the time that we recorded this podcast, Fiji had just completed its first week of COVID-19 vaccinations following the arrival of the first shipment of doses from the COVAX Advanced Market Commitment. Fiji was the first South Pacific country to receive doses from the COVAX facility. Australia is a proud supporter of the COVAX facility and has contributed $80 million to the COVAX Advanced Market Commitment, which supports COVID-19 doses for low- and middle-income countries. We began by talking about how COVID-19 vaccines have been developed. Fiona, you recently wrote an article about the speed in which COVID vaccines have been developed. What are some some of the key considerations that Australia and other development partners need to take into account to make sure that any vaccines procured and rolled out in the Pacific are safe and effective?
1: Yes, look, thanks for that, Camilla. So, you know, as we know, it's been an absolutely phenomenal um, scientific achievement to have so many vaccines that are available now just just over 12 months into this um, into this pandemic so um, we've already got um, four that have come through WHO and have emergency use listing and there's many more to come Um, with a few more being looked at this month. So with the speed of their um, development and and getting out there into the market, um, however, it doesn't mean that any corners were cut. What it means is that because it's a pandemic that, um, you know, resources were really thrown at this. And so um, instead of studies um, being done, um, one after another after another, which, you know, it takes many years to develop a vaccine or any medicines. Um, because so many resources were sort of thrown at this, um, the vaccine development it meant that the vaccines could be developed in parallel and the different stages of their development was done in in par- parallel so first you start with the animal studies and then the phase one which is in a small number of people looking at um, the immune response and potentially the dose and then the second phase and then it, all those results go to an independent committee and uh, make sure that it's safe and it looks like it's um, good in in terms of making those antibodies that protect us, Um, and then it progresses through the next phase phase of development, which is a phase two study where they have more people in the study and they look at safety and whether, again, um, the antibodies are produced uh, um, to potentially protect us. And then lastly is the phase three studies where... um, Um, they look at the vaccine um, safety, both at safety in terms of whether it works or not, whether it is um, the efficacy of the study. So each time and each stage of development, all the results are reviewed by an independent committee um, of experts. And then once it's finished the phase three, it goes off to um, independent regulatory committees. And so Um, the ones in this part of the world that are commonly looked towards um, uh, WHO, of course, and their um, strategic advisory group of experts and also um, the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration in Australia. So it's very important that the studies have been looked at independently and also have had um, um, strict review by these independent committee of experts to make sure that they're safe to use um, in communities.
0: And when we talk about, I think... We've gotten very used to hearing references to safety and we need to make sure that they're safe. But actually sort of what, how is safety actually defined when we're talking about vaccines? Or what sort of things would would those experts be looking for to assess whether or not a vaccine is considered safe? So um,
1: in clinical trials, half the participants get the vaccine and half get the placebo, which is just sort of salty water, essentially, a salty water injection. And nobody knows what they've got. Um, been given so it's called the placebo all the participant in the study don't know until the end of the study and so then each participant who's in the study gets asked um, you know the next day and the next day and at various intervals whether they've had any side effects to the vaccine and some of those things are like um, fever or sore arm or headache or vomiting or any sort of um, local reactions or any general um, reactions um, and illnesses or any hospitalizations, And then, of course, more serious things such as severe allergic reactions or obviously any death that may occur in the trial as well all gets recorded and all the serious ones in particular all get reviewed independently. And then at the end of the um, study or at various time points, um, um, those reactions get compared between the um, the vaccinated group and the placebo group to see if there's any difference. And what we know with these vaccines is that it is common, by and large, to have a sore arm and a fever and some muscle aches and pains and a headache, those sorts of things. And by and large, they're mild or moderate and they just go away within a day or two. And so um, but then... Um, so the in the clinical trial situation, you know, maybe thirty or forty thousand people are involved in these studies. But then, even now um, that uh, the vaccine sort of rolled out in the community, so for example, um, in the UK, millions of people have re- have. Um, received the vaccine now, there's ongoing safety monitoring. So these are existing systems um, that have uh, exist for any vaccine um, or any medicine, in fact, so that um, the safety of those um of the vaccine for for rare side effects, there's ongoing monitoring um, of those things. So, and then they have a look to see whether um, the background rate, whether the rate of um, those reactions in those that have got the vaccine is any higher than what would be expected as normal. So you'd, you have to remember that, you know, if we're say vaccinating 20 million people, it's just, it's normal, you know, even before the vaccine that 20 million people, some of them will get sick and die. You know, so that's just normal because that's what happens to people because that's life. And then if you then start vaccinating 20 million people, some people will still get sick and die. It doesn't mean that the vaccines cause that. Um, so that's why the independent committee looks at all those um, those rare things and those rare events and then has a look to see if that's any excess as what to be expected from normal in that particular population.
0: Turning from this Um, issues about vaccine development towards that rollout and and reaching the population. Um, Perhaps I could turn to to Rachel first in this question. What sort of considerations need to be taken into account when developing a strategy for prioritising the rollout of vaccines?
2: um, uh, and um, I must say an important one, depending on the country that you're in, and for for example, for Fiji, uh, we know we don't have any community transmission. Uh, but we know that our borders are open uh, for repat flights and uh, expats and a few others that come into the country for work uh, and all. So that these space, I believe, uh, significantly um, determines our prioritization. And um, having said that, like um, we have had quarantine um, cases from our quarantine facilities, uh, which um, which we've managed to contain there. And um, so basically saying that uh, our priority list, prioritization of vaccination comes out of our frontliners. And uh, when I talk about frontliners, in our context, it's not just healthcare workers um, in Fiji. Uh, basically, in Fiji, we've, uh, we've mobilized a number of people apart from healthcare workers, and uh, these are mainly the border control individuals, from immigration to airports to um, people who deal with cargo, et cetera and uh, the crew and the pilots and all all of them. And um, even to the point we've uh, identified individuals from um, the quarantine facilities that manage our um, repat flights coming in um, and others. So uh, basically, um, in a nutshell, if I can say, in Fiji, prioritization happened um, um, according to that um, frame of work uh, in terms of um, where our most at-risk individuals were. And this was the frontliners and the uh, frontliners like I defined earlier. And then from there, we've once we've done the frontliners, we've obviously moved on to um, the um, other individuals, such as the vulnerable populations with comorbid issues, which we know that high risk, uh, uh, if you get COVID, coronavirus, they are, um, the, the high risk of uh, mortality is in, in that uh, population. So, um, yeah, so that, that's one of the things that has really um uh, stra- like assisted us in strategizing appropriately, even to the point of um identifying the very high risk individuals at the border control and their immediate family members. So uh, that has become essential for us because we know if someone does get it into the country, they have families that they go back to the immediate and. Un- That live under the roof. So, I think that's um, uh, what happens in the country basically in terms of community transmission, in terms of uh, how open the borders are, has been basically the dictating factor in determining the prioritization for us in the country.
0: Both of you have seen the rollout of many other immunization programs in the Pacific. And the reality, unfortunately, as we know, is there are still occasional outbreaks of vaccine preventable diseases in Fiji and in other Pacific Island countries. Does the speed with which the COVID-19 vaccine was developed give you hope for the future?
2: I, th- I think um, from our perspectives, it um, has given to, yes, uh, to the people here in the country, especially those in the border control who have stopped flying for almost a year now. Um, I think it's given a lot of hope for people. Um, if I can um, just revisit our very recent arrival of vaccine, um, just a week less about just a bit more than a week ago. And uh, from, from the time the vaccines got from the manufacturers into Sydney to Fiji was very special um, for a lot of people on that Fiji Airways flight. So that was by them identified as the most precious cargo they were ever taking. Um, in history so um, I think it's become uh, it's been very special and it's given a lot of hope for um, Fijians especially Um, we know a lot of people lost their jobs um, and um, you know wanting to go back with they're wanting to fly those um, birds again and get the people get the lives back to normal so definitely it's given a lot of hope but one of the things we've been reminding individuals in Fiji is like look guys this is not the only think that will work. Vaccines are a part of the puzzle, but it's not the whole puzzle. So we've got to still continue to practice the other um, uh, safe measures.
1: Yeah, I, I just would like to add to that, that, um, um, you know, Fiji's uh, the first country, as we know, that has received the vaccine in the Pacific, in the South Pacific anyway. And, um, you know, some of the countries are being um, supported by, you know, other um you know, uh, mechanisms. So, uh, Micronesia, but, you know, by the US Operation Warp Speed, and they have a very high percentage of their population, um, thankfully, um, being vaccinated and almost finished, I think, in some of the countries and, you know, the French territories as well. And, um, the South Pacific is very much dependent on COVAX and, uh, you know, support, uh, uh, from the region. So, um, and, you know the unique part thing about this part of the world is is that um, you know we have uh, the islands, many countries have very small populations, and have extraordinarily difficult logistical challenges. For example, um, Kiribati is um, you know about the, as wide as Australia; it's about three thousand kilometers wide, and very challenging to get vaccine um, to their populations, and and also um, you know you know, many the countries are classified as, um, you know, small, um, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, um, what's the SIDS? Um, Sorry, you'll have to cut. Small
0: small island developing states, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. so small island developing states. So, you know, very risk of all sorts of disasters and, and, you know, not having diversity in economy um, make them particularly unique and for this population. And so some of the countries, and all of them, in fact, do not want to open their borders, of course, until a high proportion of their population is um, vaccinated. And, and we don't know what coverage is required, you know, to prevent community transmission. And so it's extremely important that, um, you know, for the economy and for a whole range of reasons that, um, you know, um, the countries have access to vaccine You know, this year. Otherwise, you know, the countries have got no way, really. A lot of them have got no way of of getting their economy um, going again. And um, so, that's uh, an extremely important thing to be taking into account with those that are, you know, making decisions about um, vaccine access for this region. Is that it's really extremely important unlike you know places in Europe who have kept their borders open things are still happening the economy is still going to some degree you know it's been suffering but but that has not happened in the Pacific and it won't happen um in the Pacific until um you know a high proportion of the population is is vaccinated because it is a very high risk population most of the population is indigenous you know very has extremely high um you know um prevalence of uh, obesity and diabetes some of the highest in the world in fact if not the highest um and so um you know a very high risk of of severe covid and death and so um you know pop countries are wanting to keep their borders closed until um they're all vaccinated so that's a, another really key thing to consider and 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 similarly the the actual, you know, the logistics that I've alluded to are very challenging. And so, again, when making decisions um, about vaccine, it's important to recognise that, um, you know, there may be certain qualities in a vaccine that are more suitable to this part of the world than other parts of the world, you know, such as, you know, the cold chain requirements, for example, having a normal cold chain, the normal fridge temperatures rather than this minus 80 situation. And... And particularly just having one dose, if there was a vaccine schedule that was just one dose and was also obviously effective against the variants, then, um, you know, again, that would be ideal for places like Kiribati and the Solomons and all the countries in this region that have enormous geographical challenges. And and we have to remember, you know, it takes sometimes in Kiribati, it takes a week, you know, to get there by boat. I mean, there, there isn't the flights. That are available, you know, anymore. Or if they do, you have to charter flights, and they really cost a fortune. And um, you know, to get um, services there, and you know, if 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 health workers are going out those long distances to um, to provide, you know, vaccinate um, the population, then it takes them away from primary care, you know, from delivering babies, from doing the routine immunisation and things like that. So it's just really important um, to you know, to take those sorts of things into consideration, um, if possible, as much as possible um, for this um, unique part of the world. I mean, while
2: while there's um, huge comorbid issues in the Pacific, um, we must realise that the tertiary care facilities are not so much. For example, if I were to talk about intensive care units, some might just have a capacity of two or three or five, um, like Fiji would probably, I'm not sure exactly how many, but wouldn't be more than 20, you know. So um, for us to care at that point in time, what do we do? So in in, in that context, keep up, keeping our borders closed and um, uh, making sure these vaccines get to us and then uh, we're able to vaccinate our people, protect our people and then open the borders in a more appropriate manner. So uh, just for the pro- protection sake for, um, for all Pacific Islanders. So yeah, the, ter- the tertiary capacities um, is also a huge factor to play in this. Um, yeah, just wanted to add that.
0: Absolutely. It's clear that the stakes are very high in this region in terms of the economic situation and, and the way in which countries have, are protecting themselves from the virus, but also that it's coming at a cost. And then the, the importance of having the vaccine for prevention, because as you say, the tertiary care, the, the um, capacity to care for people, if they do become, if there is an outbreak and they become very sick is, is quite limited in, in many countries. Um, you talked quite a bit there, um, Fiona, about the challenges of getting, getting vaccine in and out to where it's needed. Could you talk us through some of the common reasons for um, vaccine hesitancy, as, as it's sometimes referred to, particularly in the Pacific, and how this knowledge and understanding is being applied to the rollout of COVID vaccine?
1: So... Um In general, what we find people mostly worrying about is the speed of the vaccine, you know, how it's been developed and, you know, why has it been? Um, so, you know, how can it possibly be safe and effective? And um, and and what, that we know everything about it with such a short in such a short time frame. So I think uh, that's one of the key things that really requires you know a conversation about to reassure people. And the other thing, which for any vaccine actually, whether it's this one or for any vaccine, is really um, safety. You know what do we know about the safety of the vaccine so it's really important to you know have that conversation because we have an enormous amount of information at the moment and this part of the world we're fortunate in some degree um because um, the UK and other countries have got a huge amount of experience with the vaccine now and are collecting all these side effects of the data and how common they are and, um, and things. And so, you know, to say, you know, we can say with a lot of confidence how, how safe that they actually are. So, um, you know, this is such an important area um, and having um, the correct information, having conversations about this is just really important.
2: Yeah, no, that that's right. I mean, those two important things. And uh this is one of the things that we've been reiterating, like uh, telling Fijians that um look, no compromise has taken place and all aspects of um development has been considered. And um when we get the message right, it's it's it makes a world of a difference. Um, just as an example, like I had a session with the um border border control staff and um uh, they were uh, I know in that room in itself when i would talk i was talking to the managers they themselves were a bit hesitant but after the session people changed their minds and they went out and they told their bosses and um, other staffs like I'm ready to get vaccinated tomorrow so uh, I think the misinformation uh, which really needs to be coming um, and now and the right information which needs to be coming from us but otherwise i must say um, uh while we uh while we we've seen, for example, like for Fiji uh late last week and um we're just mopping up in terms of numbers and uh, our first batch of um six thousand individuals is almost over. And um we did see a few refusals within the healthcare workers and outside as well. And uh um we yet to find out what exactly was the reason around it but uh it could be religious it could be around safety and obviously a few other reasons but um but i must say the uptake for us was like close to 92 percent in terms of um the first um uh rollout numbers uh we've already got about 90 92 percent of the frontliners we anticipated to get so we have just got a you know we've we've got a few more to go which we're trying to mop up in the next few days so um, regardless, I think there's a minority and we can work with that minority. And apart from this COVID vaccines, traditionally, when it comes to normal vaccines for children, we've, we've um, um, uh, in our last coverage survey, we had about 94.6%, 95%. So I think that's been pretty good in terms of acceptance. Getting the information out and the right information out, I guess, is essential. But otherwise, um, vaccine anti-vaxxers are out there, um, not so much in Fiji, but uh, I'm mindful that uh, one could make a lot of noise as well.
0: That's a, that's a very salient point, that there may not be many of them, but they could, they could make a lot of noise. Um, and I have to say congratulations on that fantastic coverage. Um, that's really good news. And um, I'm sure you've worked very, very hard to, to get to that point. So um, hats off to you. That's really, that's really wonderful to hear. Can you tell us more about the planning and preparations for the COVID-19 vaccination campaign that have brought Fiji to this point and what you've learned so far in the process of rolling out the vaccine?
2: So, no, very good question in terms of uh, rollout and what we've learned and all that. And, um, um, well, Fiji got its um, first batch of COVAX vaccine. We got the 12,000 doses um, uh, about a week ago and um, this 12,000 equated to about 6,000 individuals. Now I must say this um, this was a blessing in disguise um in terms of um uh logistically sorting things out because um we we know that we'll be vaccinating about 70% of our population and this is in the history of I think of, of Fiji that will be vaccinating so many individuals and with not just one but two doses of it two jabs so uh and uh, in Fiji's history we've always used paper based um Data gathering, etc., but it will definitely become ridiculously logistically almost um, impossible for you to probably identify people for that second jab uh, and uh, making sure they come in on time and all that. So uh, there's a step that we took this time around, which um, which was obviously uh, which was digitalizing everything from registration to um, vaccination. Second reminds just linking it up to our SMS systems in the country and all that. So this 6,000, I must say, um, um, has been um, a teaser in terms of, it's teaching us a lot in terms of our systems. So when we go out to the bigger campaign, the massive campaign rollout for the whole country, thats 70% of the population, it would have taught us quite a lot of things it would have ironed out um, um, the flows that we would um, not have identified earlier on. And um, I'm not sure about uh, many of the other PICs, but um, I believe a lot of us are going digital this time for the obvious reasons, for the two jabs, for the two doses, which
1: we've never done before. So uh, learning a lot through that process. Rachel, I was just wondering, as you were saying that, I was wondering how... You know, with all this training with cold chain and all these systems, a lot of them, you know, obviously are for COVID, but in but in but it's also for general EPI, isn't it? The immunisation program. So I'm just wondering the things that you're training on, that whether they have those broader systems strengthening, you think, and re you know, and also some of the things, for example, that you're doing now, do you see that flowing over into EPI in general, like the digitizing um the records oh. and things? No, absolutely,
2: absolutely. Like um, what is what is happening right now in Fiji is we've just taken the opportunity of COVID and leveraged on it and making sure that by the end of vaccination for COVID, we will strengthen our EPR systems in the country and make it the best it could ever be possibly in terms of cold chain, your data information systems, in terms of technique, um, and, yeah, information systems. So every single aspect of it, even capacity building, so um, even having strengthened the whole um, um, write-down from every single health facility right up to HQ in terms of human resources. So um, that, that is definitely a huge plus point on our end um, that uh, we'll be leveraging on here because um, I think um, otherwise strengthening our EPR system would take, for example, if it would take three years, this time it's just taken a year um, because we know vaccines were developed in 10, 12 months, rolled out and we're intending to vaccinate the whole country within this year hopefully within before um you know as soon as we get the whole vaccines we hope to vaccinate the whole country by at least by the third quarter of the uh, uh depending when doses arrive for all so um, yeah after that it's sustaining the systems that we've developed but yeah definitely it's not just for COVID, but it's for vaccines right across the whole epi program
0: been listening to Professor Fiona Russell of the Murdoch Children's Research Institute and Dr. Rachel Debbie, the head of the Vaccine Task Force for Fiji's Ministry of Health. To learn more about Australia's support to COVID-19 vaccination in the Indo-Pacific, please visit the Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security website. I'm Camilla Burkhardt. Thanks for joining me. Subscribe to Contain This for the latest in global health security trends delivered to you every fortnight.